Michael Sussman, the former campaign lawyer to Hillary Clinton, indicted for lying to the FBI, just filed a big motion to dismiss his criminal charges. Of course, being prosecuted by Durham doesn't want this to continue on. And so on April 4th, item 59, you see he filed a motion to dismiss the case with a big if saying if special counsel Durham doesn't immunize tech executive number one, the guy Rodney Jaffe, we're going to talk a lot more about him. If he's not immunized so that he can come in and testify on behalf of Sussman, while the defense is saying this whole case should be just dismissed and thrown out. And so today in this video, we're going to break this down. Not a huge motion, but we will go through it so we can see exactly what Sussman is saying took place, really alleging that there's prosecutorial misconduct taking place, saying that Durham is kind of bending the rules and playing underhandedly by not immunizing Rodney so he can come and testify on behalf of Sussman. So we'll get into that. But you can see this was not the only thing that was filed on April 4th, a lot of activity here, and a lot of it coming from the defense, from Michael Sussman. So let's see what's happening here. You can see all of these different entries all taking place on April 4th. Down here at the bottom, we've got a minute order coming in from the judge that's really just detailing the briefing schedule for the forthcoming weeks. We see April 8th, we've got a deadline. Defendant here, Sussman's going to file his expert motion by April 8th. And then we've got a response by the government by April 15th. And we've got another privilege. So it's just scheduling, just putting dates on the calendar. Then we get a notice from the defense that they filed their classified notice reports. We've got another motion in limine, and we're going to see several of these. Take a look on items 57, motion in limine, another one right here, 58, and another one, number 60, and then all the way up here at 61, motions in limine. And so we're kind of getting to that stage in the case where we're talking about what can come into trial or what should be excluded at trial. Remember that in a trial, it's not just a free for all. You don't just get to sort of, you know, haul in a briefcase and say, I'd like to show everybody this evidence. Uh, it, the defense would say, well, what, what, what do you have there? Let me see that. We need to examine that. You can't just start shoving documents in front of jurors' faces. And so we deal with these preliminary issues, whether to it's, it's to exclude evidence to ensure that this doesn't come in because it might confuse the issues or whether it's to to ensure that it does come in. We want to discuss those things before the trial starts so that we're not dealing with it right in front of the jurors. And so these are called motions in limine coming from the word preliminary, if you sort of think about it that way, goes back to Greek. I think it's uh, sort of a threshold issue, I think, if it is translating correctly in my mind. But it's something we deal with these issues at the start of the case, so we don't have to deal with it as trial progresses. And so a lot of this is going on here. The next one comes in is from the defense saying that they want to exclude certain notes from coming in. Remember when Sussman went and had a conversation with the FBI, FBI supposed to take notes. What did you say? Whoa, let me, let me note that down. And oftentimes those notes are saved contemporaneously with the other case files. And so what the defense is doing here Sussman is saying none of that stuff should be able to come in. They want specifically Deputy General Counsel Trish Anderson's notes out. They want Bill Price Steps notes out. We also see that they filed this motion to dismiss, which is what we're going to talk about here. We've got another motion in limine saying that they want stuff from the Steele dossier and its analysis to also be precluded. So the defense is saying we don't want any of that to come in. And then we get, lastly, from the government. We've got Durham, who's filing a motion in limine by the USA. Now, you can see Sussman. He's got one, two, three different motions in limine that are all going to be trying to preclude things. Durham's going to be trying to get it in. 
Sussman saying all this stuff's really bad for me. Durham saying, no, it's not. So we're going to break that down in another video. I've got a full video on the motion in Lemonade for a Durham, the one that the government is filing, because there is some really good stuff in there. Some text messages from Sussman and some emails from Rodney Joffrey to some researchers who were on his team. And so we're going to break that one down, number 61, in greater detail. But today we're spending time on number 59, Sussman's motion to dismiss the case. We've got orders from Judge who is going to be giving us our scheduling dates. But let's take a look at the actual motion. You can see it here. United States of America coming from Durham filed against Sussman, the defendant, really having a lot to do with this guy right here, Rodney Jaffe. And the title of this is the defense motion to dismiss if Durham doesn't give Jaffe immunity, if he doesn't sort of allow him to come and say whatever he wants without fear of being prosecuted. So let's go through here. Remember, this is from the defense from Sussman. He's got good defense lawyers. Uh, I think Harvard, Yale people, you know, the Ivy Leaguers back in New York paying good money for him. This is sort of a big pillar in the entire Democratic uh National Committee, Hillary, the entire party has their eyeballs on this case. And so you can see they have some very good lawyers behind it. Special counsel writes, or the, the counsel for Sussman writes about the special counsel, says that special counsel here, Durham, has made Rodney Jaffe, tech executive number one, a cornerstone of this case. Why? Special counsel says that Sussman falsely told James Baker, who was over at the FBI general counsel, that he was not conveying information on behalf of a client when Mr. Sussman was actually conveying it on behalf of Jaffe. And we're going to break this down on the next slide. You can see these are the different parties that we have here. Sussman apparently went and had conversations with the FBI on behalf of other people. Now they're saying we fast forward. It's April 2022. Jaffe has not been charged with anything yet. All this stuff was supposedly originating back in 2016 in the months leading up to the election. Jaffe has not been charged with anything is what they're saying. It's simply inconceivable that there is any real criminal exposure hanging over his head. And so what they're saying is that Durham is basically just floating these charges over Jaffe. In other words, saying they don't have enough there to actually prosecute this guy. And so they're just kind of floating these charges out because they don't want him to come in and testify. And the defense is saying that is so problematic for our case, because if Jaffe does come in and testify, he's going to totally exonerate Sussman. He's going to come in here and say he had nothing to do with any of this stuff. He wasn't acting or working on behalf of the Clintons or anything. Accordingly, they say this is totally inappropriate. And the only thing that we can do is to either grant Jaffe immunity or have this entire case dismissed. Let's go to some background here. This is going to start to make a little bit more sense when it all gets pieced together. The argument from the defense, from Sussman's defense lawyers, says a criminal defendant has the right to present his own witnesses, right? We get to call people we want in there. And one of those witnesses that we get to bring in are people who are exculpatory witnesses. Those are the kind of the best witnesses, aren't they? They're going to come in and exculpate your client. They're going to say, oh, everything that the government said is wrong. Here's why. I can give an alibi. I can provide information that's going to change the entire narrative. We really like those witnesses if we can get them. Oftentimes they don't exist. And they're saying that's exactly what Jaffe is. Here they write, prosecutorial and judicial actions aimed at discouraging defense witnesses from testify deprive that defendant of his right. If 
the government is making it more difficult for the defense to call their witnesses. Well, that's not really fair, is it? Where the government has prevented exculpatory witnesses from testifying, D.C. courts have reversed those defendants' convictions. Uh Uh-oh. Now you start to say, whoa, wait a minute here. Court of Appeals and D.C. courts, if they're sort of improperly pressing upon witnesses, well, we don't really want this case to be dismissed, do we? If you're the prosecutor. So now your ears perk up and you're paying attention. This goes on, says where the government, now I fast forward a little bit, but where the government improperly threatens criminal prosecution to prevent a witness from testifying like this guy. In other words, if, if Durham is stopping Jaffe from testifying because he's hanging this, this threat of criminal prosecution over his head, that's not okay. They said they'll typically reverse those cases, but they do note the defense notes that the D.C. Circuit Court has not expressly adopted this framework. So they're referring to other things. They're saying when a government improperly threatens criminal prosecution, the courts will give you one of two options. Number one, grant them immunity so that those threats are taken off the table or dismiss the case. Obviously, Durham's not going to want to dismiss the case. Probably also not going to want to give Jaffe any immunity, especially if by giving Jaffe immunity, Jaffe just walks in there and says everything the defense wants. Why? Because he's totally immune. He can say whatever he wants, basically. So he goes through now. And so Durham, you kind of think, well, he's kind of stuck in a difficult spot, isn't he? Now they're saying, but the D.C. Circuit hasn't adopted that framework. So maybe not. Maybe they don't actually have to do it that way. And this is open for discussion. So we'll see a response to this sooner rather than later. We don't have it yet. We're going to continue with the argument coming over from the defense. This is Mr. Bosworth, who I think is drafting this argument. We recall that there were two different lawyers. Mr. Bosworth here is also joined by Mr. Berkowitz, both out of, I think, New York. And Bosworth is somebody who waved in pro hoc vice. So he's sort of, I think, the special lawyer who's kind of brought in on this case which is why I think I'm going to give him the crux of the credit for drafting the argument. Special counsel, he writes, is engaging in tactics uh oh, that improperly prevent Sussman from calling Jaffe. This is astonishing, he says. This is an insistence that he continues to face criminal exposure for conduct that occurred more than five years ago. He says if he continues to refuse to immunize Mr. Jaffe, This court has to dismiss the charge. And so you can see the argument being laid out. But this is where it gets a little bit extra spicy. We see that the special counsel, according to Mr. Bosworth, is engaged in prosecutorial misconduct. And so that may not sound like much to anybody else out there who doesn't sort of live in this area of the law. But those are kind of fighting words there. If you're a defense lawyer and you start throwing those words around, prosecutors get a little bit irritated about that. They don't like it when you when you say, what did you say? And nor should they, right? Because now you're saying that a prosecutor did something that was unethical or totally biased or sort of, you know, underhanded. They engaged in misconduct. They did something that was under the table that nobody appreciates. And they can actually, you know, get in trouble with the state bar. They can lose their law license. There can be serious repercussions for this. Because prosecutors have kind of a special duty. You know, they have the power to prosecute people. 
that most other people don't have. And so we hold them to a higher standard. They get a little badge and hey, I'm a prosecutor. You know, they're very excited about it, but they don't like when those labels are thrown around. And so you got to be careful about that. When you start throwing those words around now, prosecutors, they may not ever deal with you again, or they may give you worse deals moving forward because you insulted their integrity. Who knows? You know, prosecutors have a whole bunch of weird reasons they do things, but this might be one of them. Now, in this case, does that really apply? Probably not. This is a special case. How many cases is Bosworth going to have with Durham ever again? Probably none, right? How many times is this going to be an issue that pops up again in the future? Probably not. So he can use those words because it serves his interest and it's not really going to have any long-term effects, but still they are fighting words. He says the special counsel's misconduct will improperly and unfairly force Mr. Jaffe to invoke his rights. And he goes through, he gives us several different reasons. He says, first, special counsel continues to threaten him with special prosecution. We have a letter that was sent back and forth. He says that Jaffe's status in the investigation was sufficient to establish a good faith basis to invoke the privilege against self-incrimination, saying that Durham has been extremely aggressive coming up with unprecedented theories of prosecution, and he's not even willing to consider exculpatory evidence. So Jaffe then has to invoke his rights. And so if Jaffe's invoking his rights, well, that means that it's very difficult for Sussman to be able to call him in there and have Jaffe get up there and do his little tap dance singing Sussman's innocence, isn't it? This moves on. When asked how Mr. Jaffe could remain the subject of Durham's investigation for more than five years, the council is going through and they're sort of extending the scope. So here's the argument that's being made in this paragraph. They're this is basically a statute of limitations argument. Remember that when you're charged with a crime, the government can't wait 35 years to prosecute you in most cases. In some cases they can, but they're supposed to bring charges sooner rather than later. And why? Well, witnesses forget what's happening. Evidence can spoil, you know, blood results don't last forever. And so evidence will dissipate. They want to incentivize the government to bring charges quickly. And once you are charged, well, you got a right to a speedy trial. They don't want this stuff hanging out over your head indefinitely. Defense counsel for Sussman here is now making the argument, they've been waiting around forever. All this stuff was going on in 2016, 2017. It's now 2022. Drop it already is kind of the argument that's going on here. He's, they say he's got hundreds of pages of discovery for Jaffe, but there is nothing that shows that this is actually going to move forward, saying it's preposterous for the council to say that they might bring charges off of this Yoda phones thing, which is a whole sort of, you know, another issue, but saying that all of this is basically expired. The council is going to say, no, it's not right. All of this stuff is still floating around. There are still a lot of consequences from all of these actions. And some of, as we're going to see, some of this was still sort of floating around out there in the ether up until now, right? We're still learning a lot more about this as this continues to unfold. Second, although he refuses to confer immunity on Jaffe, they say special counsel has given immunity to other witnesses who've also been involved in this. So now saying, you know, sort of there's a improper extension of prosecutorial discretion. Other people are getting it, but Jaffe's not. Jaffe's our witness. We need this person to be immunized. Other witnesses that serve the government's needs have been immunized, but not the one that we need who's going to come out here and give us all sorts of exculpatory evidence saying that that is problematic because the government has extra power that the defense doesn't have. And then thirdly, and lastly, we have here 
special counsel is repeatedly giving or asking Mr. Joffrey to cooperate with the investigation only weeks ago, saying that they refused to confer immunity on Joffe, saying that he might face criminal exposure. The, the defense gives us some other cases here saying that, therefore, the only available witness regarding Sussman's attorney-client relationship is Joffe himself. They write, the defense believes that if called to testify, Joffe would offer this testimony. And this is why they want him so badly. This is very critical exculpatory testimony, including that Mr. Sussman and Mr. Joffe agreed that information should go to the FBI and the CIA to help the government, not to benefit Mr. Joffe. So do you see what they're saying here? Hmm. Yeah. To help the government. Oh, so he had very pure motives. So they're going to say, so basically what they're saying, the defense is saying, is they're going to haul Joffe out there onto the stand. Prosecution's going to say Sussman did this to sort of enrich himself. He was a campaign surrogate for Hillary Clinton. His law firm, Perkins Coy, with Mark Elias and Sussman were all working together to concoct this whole steel dossier, Russian alpha bank collusion hoax BS. All of that was going on. And they're saying here, well, that wasn't for Sussman. I mean, he had no ulterior motive at all. He had no stake in any of this. He wasn't going to get a promotion. He wasn't going to get any, you know, a raise. Nothing was going to happen. He only went out of the goodness of his heart to help America, to help the government, not to benefit. And when Sussman is, is there not taking the stand, he can't go up there and say that because if they do, they're going to ask him a bunch of questions. They're going to bring up Jaffe, who's then going to do his little tap dance and say, oh, no, yeah, no. I mean, it's totally pure and genuine. Good, clean heart. I got a clean conscience about this whole thing. He's also going to say when he takes a stand, the information was conveyed to the FBI to provide a heads up that a major newspaper was about to publish a story about those links. Also very curious. We learn in the Durham motion in Lemonade that we cover in this different video here that Durham was saying that was all collusion. They all coordinated that. Yeah, of course, the newspaper published the article there, guys. You fed it to them as you were creating it with the help of Jaffe. We're going to see that's basically confirmed in Durham's filing that just got stacked on top of this. So remember at the start of this, we had about six different filings on the same day. All of these are getting filed simultaneously. So as this was being drafted, they don't really know what Durham's filing and his motion in Limine, although they do have the discovery, presumably. We're seeing the arguments now sort of bubble up simultaneously, and then both sides are going to have to respond to them similarly. We see here, so he's going to come out now and talk about the links and that a newspaper was going to publish the story, and so they were just giving a heads up. Durham's going to respond to that and say, well, that's nice, guys. You created the story. Number three, in response to a letter request from Mr. Baker, who was general counsel over at the FBI, Sussman conferred with Mr. Jaffe about sharing the names of the newspaper before Sussman told Baker that it was the New York Times. Hmm. Okay. The researchers and Mr. Jaffe himself held a good faith belief in the analysis that was shared with the FBI. Sussman accordingly and reasonably believed the data and analysis were accurate. So he was relying on Jaffe. Jaffe was relying on his researchers and his analysis. And so basically everything was sort of all above board because everybody was acting in good faith and they're just trying to connect the dots. Jaffe gave the information to Sussman. Jaffe got his information from his researchers. And all of this was just to sort of help America. Number five, contrary to the special counsel's entire theory, Jaffe was never, never retained, nor did he get any direction from the Clinton campaign, which I think is, is an argument that nobody is 
making. Durham might be making the receiving direction from argument, but I don't think there's any official evidence that he was retained by the Clinton campaign. But he was, in fact, working, it sounds like, with Perkins Coy. We've got Fusion GPS. There's, there's many layers here. That's the whole point of this. Yes, Clinton didn't draft the Steele dossier. Clint, Hillary didn't sit there and type it up herself. There's 35 other people in the chain concocting the whole conspiracy before they let it loose. We get to a conclusion now. This is still the defense motion to dismiss the special counsel saying Durham can't have it both ways. He cannot make Mr. Sussman's representation of Mr. Joppy central to the case against Mr. Sussman, while at the same time effectively presenting, preventing Sussman from calling Joffe to come in and provide testimony. Saying that there are threats, hollow threats about criminal exposure that are preventing Joffe from coming in and being able to actually give his testimony. The special counsel's conduct here is exactly the sort of bad faith gamesmanship forbidden by the Fifth Amendment's guarantee of due process and the Sixth Amendment guarantee of compulsory process. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, but this happens all the time, right? Mr. Joffe's testimony is essential to Mr. Sussman's ability to demonstrate to, to a jury that he is not guilty. As such, Joffe's testimony through the grant of use of immunity is critical to the defense and must be allowed. So now the question is, you know, is the court going to lean on special counsel to say, grant him immunity so that he can come in. If he does come in, then he's going to just stand up there and tap dance on behalf of Michael Sussman. For these reasons, should the special counsel fail to promptly grant Joffe immunity, the court is asked to dismiss the case. You can see signed April 4th, by Sean Berkowitz. We also have Michael Bosworth down here. Uh, and so both of those gentlemen, along with Natalie Hardwick Rao, Catherine Yao, all of them over at Latham and Watkins. And so I guess Sean Berkowitz is also a pro hoc Viche. Looks like he's out of Chicago. We've got Bosworth out of New York. And that is the motion to dismiss from Michael Sussman. Now, of course, the big question is going to be what does Durham say and do in response to this? He's going to file a response to challenge basically every single one of these points of law. One of the big issues, of course, that even the defense is acknowledging is that the framework that they're proposing upon which this rule should be analyzed is not even been formally officially adopted by the D.C. Uh, jurisdiction. And so saying that, well, maybe there are different standards that should be applicable. So we'll see what Durham says and what he files in response but it's a spicy meatball because of that prosecutorial misconduct claim saying that this is all sort of, you know, underhanded. This is not fair game saying that this prosecutor is intentionally trying to, you know, wreck the defense's uh, due process rights. And we'll see where it goes. The judge, of course, is going to have to issue a ruling and we're going to get rulings on this and a whole lot more. And I hope you join us as we continue to cover this case. This case is getting very interesting and we're going to be spending a little bit more time on it. So I hope you follow along. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button before you get out of here. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one.